0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Twist Gaming, where you get to play board games with us. Tonight is our great Game Hunters podcast, uh, and we actually have a, a special guest with us. So, who are we? I'm Josh, and I'm joined with Mr. Fen. And we're hello, I'm with, with Fen. Yeah, and uh, we're also joined with a special guest, Ryan, who also streams with Fen. Say hi, Ryan.
1: Hi there, guys. Nice to meet you, and girls.
0: Yeah.
2: So uh, Ryan plays with me uh, about once a week, and we're playing through. Um, People of the Sun. We're having to play it on Tabletop Simulator and not on board games
0: because we're not in the same place. Um, but it's been going pretty well. Good fun. It's Awesome. Alright, so today we are going to be talking about Mr. Gorm. The Gorm Baby. Yes! Um, and oh. we're going to split these expansions into probably two podcasts. So we're going to talk about the monster today and then next podcast we're going to talk about more about the gear and the synergies with everything else. So... Yeah a little bit of a different format. We're going to see how that goes. but uh, So, Mr. Fenn, you want to talk to us about uh, the Gorm a little bit and some of the backstory about him? Sure. So I think
2: it's fair to say that out of all of the monsters that have been released so far, the Gorm is one of the most controversial. It definitely seems to get some people going, I want to buy the Gorm expansion, but I don't want the model. Um, and the Gorm physically is a combination of a pachyoderm um, specifically, an elephant, but also some rhino-like attributes, and an anglerfish, and a baby. And that's pretty much what you need to bear in mind when you think about what the gorm does. It does elephant things. uh, It does anglerfishy things. Uh, it does baby things. And sometimes it acts like a disco ball. Um, now, as for within the game itself, I think we know more about gorms than any other creature outside of a few specific nemesis monsters who we spend a lot of time with um we, we know almost everything about the gorm life cycle because it's very heavily based on the tropes that or already or, or the knowledge that we have from the real world and that is um three different levels of gorms represent different points in the life cycle so the level one gorm the little baby gorm who turns up yelling and screaming and bringing bad weather on everyone and making a horrible noise um is sort of the young adolescent gorm, uh, essentially roaming the plains. They appear to be herd animals, but of course we only ever have to fight one at a time because more than one gorm would probably be very unpleasant. I suppose I could try that at some time. I do own two gorms, but um, <laughs> let's let's not bother about that right now. Then the level two gorm is the adult gorms, and this is when they are in the gorm den and that has certain effects itself it is also when they're within heat and they're in the mating season um which is uh signified by one of the uh, names of one of the cards that gives them a specific trait in that encounter which is the muffed muffed um card and that's actually although i'm butchering the pronunciation slightly that's actually a thing from elephants in the real world that's what they do and they spray in the air when they are in heat So we know that the middle point of the life cycle of the Gorms is they retreat to these dens and these caves and they breed and they make new babies. We even know that um, they have pretty traditional pregnancies. uh, As we see from the picture in the Fetty Grotto, we're showing a female Gorm, very pregnant with a, a young baby Gorm. And then finally, we know that Gorms do exactly what elephants do, which is they go off to ancient bone yards because the level three Gorm, um, which is like an incredibly long-tusked old, old Gorm, um, is encountered in the Gorm yard far, far away. So essentially what I like about this expansion so much is we're given a monster at every point of its life cycle. We are told a whole load about it, and there's even more you'll learn about the Gorm from its actions and the way it behaves and everything like that. Uh, and um, it's, it's, it's a very complete creature. It's more complete than most of the others we encounter. I think outside of the Sunstalker and the Dragon King, I think the Gorm is the one we know the most about, um, which is, is great. And it's it's, uh, it's, more, it's a more interesting creature than the White Lion for me. Um, the whole anatomy of it is very unusual. It's full of different kind of biles that do all sorts of stuff. Uh yeah, so that's kind of it in a in a nutshell. Effectively it's an elephant. It has some lure like abilities, um and some psychic abilities of of sort of some kind. It's very prone to causing mental damage. And um yeah, uh, you know, baby elephant. So that's more or less the gorm in a nutshell. Out on the
0: plains, roaming around. I'm looking at the uh the final March picture.
2: Yeah, I have that picture open right now. With the guy inside the mouth
0: what I'm noticing is the really creepy birds with the human faces.
2: The really creepy, sorry, what? Oh, they're probably the cancer pigeons. Oh, I think they, I think they are the cancer pigeons because they're mentioned as baby-faced birds.
0: That might be. The, the, they are really creepy looking.
2: Yeah, they are. I hadn't seen them before. I'm always, My eye's always drawn to the lantern, which obviously that's the survivors hung on there to allow the rest of the hunt party to follow. And then obviously he's inside the Gorm's mouth himself, trying to not get properly swallowed. Does the Gorm have earplugs? I'm does the Gorm have ears? do the Gorm does have ears, yeah. yeah. The Gorm's got a very baby-like face. At least the top half of it, apart from the lure, is very ordinary-looking. Yeah.
1: This is what I'd wanted to bring up, because I know um, when we've played, I've asked you this question before, and I was a bit disturbed by the fact. But just in case um, anyone listening hasn't, Fenn, tell us what the actual lure is.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to the, the law, and I think it is listed on the actual card, uh, it is a um, an adapted third testicle that has migrated up to the front. And when you look at the model sculpt, um, you will actually see that it does have kind of the attachment area of veins and the like, that if you know anything about human anatomy, and sadly I do, um, it, it's, it looks like a testicle, except it glows. And strobes and flashes,
1: which is the truly amazing thing that one day we might evolve again.
2: You oh, can always hope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. I'm going to be dragging down your conversation
0: level. Oh no, it's fine. We we do this to ourselves sometimes too.
2: We we absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- think that's everything really regards to lore unless there's anything well, there's some more stuff we'll talk about as we go through the hunt and the the various different bits of the deck but as normally the character of these creatures tends to come through when we discuss the
1: cards Before we move on do you mind if I um, ask a question so with regards to the KDM world um, obviously we've got the pictures to go from but I mean elephants are normally sort of in arid locations, and I don't know about the actual environment of the world because you obviously wake up in the stone face cave. But I mean, is are we, what, what's what we expect? In is do the Gorm come from a sort of arid plain, and that's where we are located just outside, or is that covered? Um, it, what seems to be
2: is they wander through the plane of faces, uh, which is you know with the stone faces, and it seems generally. A lot of the pools around the place—not um, all of them—but they tend to be rather than actual water, tend to be stuff vomited up or thrown up by monsters. If I remember correctly, there is not a lot of um, of water in the in the world that we know of.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, uh, they—I don't think they migrate in from elsewhere. I think they want. Planar Stone Faces. Most of these monsters we have are native to the Plain of Stone Faces or the Abyssal Woods. And I think we're going to have some native to the Inverted Mountain. Well, we will have some native to the Inverted Mountain coming soon.
1: So there is a few biomes and environments that yeah. you know, different things will appear in.
2: Yeah, yeah. Apparently there's the, the Rust Oceans, um, there is the Golden Plains, I think it is, where the Golden Entity lives, and there are um, quite a few others as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely with plenty of different biomes and we're gradually learning more and more about them and I think the next wave will be exploring the Inverted Mountain and the Abyssal Woods.
1: I mean, that's that's interesting to me because obviously it gives the potential, obviously the expansions on Kingdom Death are massive. Mm-hmm. Like the amount that um, they've been putting out over such a short amount of time is uh, crazy to me, but I find it interesting because they could obviously, although some people not, might not like it, is take previous expansions that people have got and adapt them so that um, if you're in sort of like a frozen biome you get a Gorm with different stats that maybe has a different few AI cards specially put in there.
2: Yeah, there's certainly some possibilities for things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it would be cool. Uh,
1: and yeah, Mogi is in the room and she can hear me. So, apologies.
0: That's right. So, let's talk about how uh, how we actually meet Gorm and uh, the approach and storm. So- how we meet Gorm. Yeah, how we meet? <laughs> that's that's what I'm going with. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The approaching storm. Do you want to take take it away then? Yeah, I'll take it away. Uh, the summit weather takes a turn for the worse. A light appears on the horizon. From its origins, rolling masses of storm clouds approach the settlement, soaking everything in p- perpetual sheets of s- stale, smelling rain. Sudden flash floods, burning winds, and periods of strobing lights continuously plague the settlement, leaving the survivors in epileptic fits. You may now hunt the Gorm. Add it to the query list on the record sheet. Um, add Gorm climate to the timeline next year. And uh, mm-hmm. then someone gets plus one insanity and braves the storm. So someone braves the storm. Uh one and two, the nominee survivor braces themselves against the wind, struggling against the storm. A sudden bolt of glazing green lightning strikes them down. They gain the absent seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, three through six, the survivor stands in the torrent, pulsing psychedelic lights strike them. Blinding them to, or bringing them to their knees, in a flash of morbid inspiration, the nominated survivor takes a stone to their own eyes. They suffer the severe head injury and gain plus one permanent speed. Then a seven plus is the result. Survivor stands strong in the face of the oncoming storm, struggling against the mighty winds. He gathers the settlement together to build a shelter against the signin storm. They have not innovated it yet. The settlement gains the hubble innovation. Returning survivors gain plus one survival
2: hmm Yeah, so this is kind of a rough turn up event. It's not the worst one for an introduction of monster. Um and at least you don't guaranteed lose the uh survivor. Um but I will say like the three to six result on this is particularly unpleasant. Minus one accuracy and blind for plus one permanent speed is not a good trade. Um and I think I think we're probably all on the same page with that. Or well, at least, Josh and I certainly am. Um, I mean, I'm gonna yeah. do anything I like can to roll as few dice as possible when attacking. How you, uh, How do you feel about Sieges? the 7
0: plus? For, uh, seven plus Hovel.
2: Okay, so the 7 plus depends on the campaign. In People of the Lantern, I think it's not very good. Uh, cause it puts a lot of stuff in your deck, um, that isn't that high value, uh, apart from Clan of Death. Um, in People of the Sun, it's sort of similar, um, we got hovel. I think. Well, we have. Ho- yeah, we, we either innovated it or we got hovel um, from this. And um, you know, again, it's put a lot of chaff in the deck. The decks are like ten cards, and we're trying to get paint, and it's just not happening. But in People of the Stars, this is amazing because People of the Stars, you just want to rush Bloodline and Empire, so it's a big benefits for People of the Stars. So it, it varies, but on the whole, I put hovel near the lower end of innovation. It can be good if you're lucky and you go hovel, family, clan of death very quickly. But that's sort of um, an outlier. So on the whole, um, I tend to pick a random Jeffer, which is the term we now use for a guy who deals with all the bad stuff and the timeline rolls, and get them to roll. And normally they end up blind with plus one speed. I can't remember Absent Seizures, though.
0: I think... Um, I think that's uh, when you throw yourself down, isn't it? I do have it. I believe it is, uh, when you suffer a brain trauma, you get knocked down. Uh, Something like that? Yeah. I, I have the full list right here with me. Uh, absent seizures,
2: uh, oh, don't have the gore ones in here. That's, man, these are in alphabetical order, why do I not have it? Is it, it's not a, no, it's not a secret fighting, no, is it?
0: No, it's a disorder. Oh,
2: it's a the. Dis- <laughs> Well done, me. Right, Absent Seizures Disorder, yes of course, yeah. Um I was thinking of the the other fighting art that you can get. Uh Absent Seizures uh, yep. First time you suffer a brain trauma, you are instead knocked down and forget a fighting art. Yeah, that one's horrifically bad. Like it being knocked down instead of getting a brain trauma would be fine, but losing a fighting art is horrible on anyone apart from the possessed guy. If you remember the possessed guy from the haunted card settlement event. Yeah. Yeah, because he can't ever use fighting arts anyway, so it'd be good there. But yeah, it's a this is a rough table, really. But it's not the table; isn't the worst part of this. It's the Gorm climate that really that changes so much in your campaign. It it, it really changes how you have to play. So, do you want to talk about that this week or next week? Um, I think we should talk about Gorm climate now because it is very much like a big part of what the Gorm is about. Um,
0: all right, you want to read it for us because I don't have that card in front of me.
2: Yeah, give me a moment. I do have it. I just need to get it. It's so over here, over here. Uh, right. Uh it's this one. Okay, so uh Gorm Climate. Right, so Gorm Climate is the settlement event. Uh it gets added to the deck um when you upgrade the game. Now before I go into the details, I actually think this is a can be a fun way to Play with the Gorm, but not have the Gorm in your starting pool. And what you can do as a house rule is add Gorm Climate to your settlement event deck, and then when you draw Gorm Climate, that's when you trigger approaching storm and you add the Gorm to the available monsters to hunt. Um, I came across this on Tabletop Simulator where they'd actually added in special settlement event cards that would cause um, hunt monsters to turn up, so you could put them in and have a chance that they would become a part of the monsters you could hunt, but not necessarily. So I it was kind of a cool idea. Also, it happened in one game where we weren't playing with the Gorm, left the Gorm climate in, and we were sort of like, do we have to sit here with the Gorm climate for the rest of the time? So yeah. Um, the card itself, uh, settlement events, as I said. So the return survivors find the settlement tormented by relentless foul weather. Add... SE, Settlement Event, Gorm climate to the next Lantern Year on the Timeline and roll 1d10. So what this does is Gorm climate once it starts on the Timeline, it will keep being added to the Timeline year after year after year, and you keep having to roll for this for as long as it stays, and you have to work out how to get rid of it. You roll a d10 on a 1 to 3, jagged pellets of sizzling hail rain from the sky, corroding anything they touch when they land. All resources in the Settlement Storage are lost, you may avoid this by dismantling an innovation by returning it to the innovation deck to create a protected barrier. On a four to six, it's a depends if you have hovel or not. If you do have hovel, the survivors huddle inside as razor winds and sickening lightning pummel the settlement and you get plus two to endeavor results at home innovations for this lantern year. If you don't have that. The echoing cries carried on the wind wear out the returning survivors. They reduce their insanity to zero. They must skip the next hunt to recover from their journey home. And then on an eight to ten, it checks if you have storytelling. If you do have storytelling, then huddle together. The segment recalls stories of the worst hardships they've tri- triumphed over, triumphed over. You nominate survivor with zero hunt XP. They grow wise from the experience of the elders and gain one understanding. If you don't have storytelling, the settlement struggles against the quaking ground, linking arms to brace themselves against the storm. Nominate survivor with zero hunt XP. They draw strength from the settlement's determination and gain plus one courage. So, obviously a one to three is like the thing that changes the game for you. You, you can't sit there with a stack of resources in your, um, settlement storage because losing them is horrific. And having to dismantle an innovation is, is quite often terrible unless you're playing with collective toil and you might be able to do something about it. So that's the biggest change that the GORM does is it forces you to go hand-to-mouth. You can't really... Any resources you you put into the storage, you've got to consider them disposable. And
0: um, I think you, you've lost a couple of resources, haven't you, Josh? Um, we've actually tossed a couple of innovations that we just didn't care about. That's what we ended up doing. We might have lost resource once just because we only had like one or two things in there. So we're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just toss it. I think you
2: lost, um, didn't you lose golden whiskers at one time?
0: Yes, that's what. Yeah, I lost golden whiskers and, uh, a couple other key items yeah. that we wanted. Yeah.
2: We're in our current campaign, uh, on. Online on my um, on my Twitch, we're uh, we're struggling through. Well, we've been lucky. The gorm climate's been pleasant so far. We have even had like double dip, double gorm climate for a single year. Um, and all we've been generating is lots of extra courage. But we have a lot of resources sat in the um, in the settlement storage because we keep drawing bones and not hide. So I'm just waiting for it all to get melted away. It is, uh, you know, yeah. It, it's definitely the worst part. But The top end of it, the um, 8 to 10, is quite amazing. I mean, um, one of our survivors who has never left the settlement whatsoever, um, uh, Rupert, has something like six or seven courage now, I think it is.
1: I mean, he does have a full name. He does. What is his full name? (laughs) Do you remember? I remember. Yeah, it's, uh, because essentially every campaign I've been informed since I started that you need a character to take one for the team. Uh, we started him off because he could do intimacy as well as Rupert the Sex Pest. And then as he gets better in the game, he upgrades. So eventually he'll become Rupert the Sex God where he can make population. Um, <laughs> like it's no challenge and he can enjoy the Gorm climate unless we, we know of a way to get rid of it. I personally don't, but Fenn being the, uh, the person he is, he obviously does. Um, so yeah, it's quite handy to have, as he said, we had a double dip where obviously we had two Gorm climates and although we didn't get anything bad, we, it's just kind of, it's Even a thing that's happening and it's taking time where something else good or potentially horrendous could happen. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, um, It's weird, and I I find the middle section of this, because if you don't have a hovel, and we didn't have a hovel the first time we encountered this, our whole hunt party had to sit out and cool their heels, and we ended up... Now we're kind of... like We don't really have a proper hunt party. we kind of a rotating cast of about eight people, and generally three of them are present at any one time, and then the other one's sort of a bit different. So it's sort of... It's thrown everything slightly out of sync. Um, And But when you do have a hovel, the plus two Endeavor results for home innovations is just...
0: Have you ever used that, Josh? Because I haven't. Nope. I've never had a... Like, what is there besides bed? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that was it.
2: Bed, yeah. Uh, Maybe there will be more sometime in the future, but most of them seem to be like static bonuses, like family and partnership and clan of death. You know, there's not many... And all it does is it it reduces your chances of gaining insanity, improves your chances of healing broken bones. You know, that's fine. But yeah, um, so yeah, gorm climate. The main thing about it, and I kind of almost wish it was like an optional element because I I like the gorm, I like the way gorm climate works in this. Um, but sometimes it is a bit kind of it can be very brutal to suffer losing your um your resources multiple times multiple years in a row and also uh seeing as we are now into expansions um the gorm is an essential part of the green knight expansion it's one of the required expansions to the green knight expansion which is about gathering tons of rare and hard to get resources and making the best gear in the game so needless to say gorm climate is like a big issue and can you can ruin your chances right from the start i just finished writing up a whole guide on um on it all and got it up on board game geek, uh, Italia loaded it up for me. And, uh, it's just like, I think I may have underplayed how annoying, um, Gorm climate is under green night circumstances. So, you know, it's, it's a big thing. I like it. I like that it changes the way you have to play. Sometimes it's a little fatiguing. Yeah. Okay. Gorm hunt. All right. Let's go hunt a Gorm. No, all right. So one, it's got a, is it? Eight cards or seven? Two three. Five, seven, seven hunt events. Seven hunt events,
0: yeah. Yeah, so alright. Let's get down the list. First up we have Flatter Earth. The survivors lose their quarry's trail in a field of stone faces so badly crushed by the passing of Gorm herds that nothing remains but carpets of fine pebbles. Roll a D ten. One through three. Uh delayed, roll two random hunt events before continuing to the next hunt board space. Four through eight. Uh, distracted, move the gorm one space away from the survivors on the hunt board, and a nine plus the survivors uh, relocate their quarry footprints and manage to recover one fountain stone starting gear from the crushed up rubble.
2: Yeah, so this is mostly a bit of a time sink. This card, I mean, having more random hunt events, we all know that's a bit kind of here or there, a bit hit and miss. You never can be totally sure how well it's going to work out. Um, and then if it you know moves one further away, that's generally adding an extra basic hunt event to the track as well. Uh, I don't think the Gorm moves much apart from this, though, so it's not a major concern. Getting found in Stones is always good, um, unless you have a full grid.
1: Well, I think the nice side of that, um, chance to get a found Stone in any point, because at first I wasn't sure what the sort of attraction was to them, is obviously with a Gorm every resource counts like you want to try and gather as much as you can because the weapons you can make from it are quite game changing early on. So if you are lucky enough to have got a lion's eye to make um, the circlet, then any extra founding stone you have, you can just try and see ahead for the hit location to see what you can get on the crit chance. And if you're lucky, you can plan it so that you chuck a founding stone to get what you want, or at least cripple Mm -hmm. it in such a way that it becomes trivial to fight.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, the Gorm has a bit of synergy with um, Founding Stones, and we will get to talk about that when we talk about the gear next
0: episode. Um, yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, besides you know, this just makes the hunt a little bit longer and a possible yeah. chance to roll some bad hunt events. Absolutely.
2: What do you got next? Because no. I flat earth first. I'll be interested to see if we got the same order. Uh, uh, head <laughs> split in
0: pain? We do. We put them <laughs> in off by quarter <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, approach and flash of light. Causes terrible convulsions. Move the gorm one space closer to the survivors on the hunt board. If it moves into the survivor space, they are ambushed. Otherwise, each survivor rolls on the table. It adds the number of their disorders to the result. Uh, so each one rolls one at a time. So uh, 1 through a 3, your mind is overcome, suffer a random brain trauma. 4 through 7, the light strange influences influence sickens your mind and gain a random disorder. Uh, 8 through 10 is shield your eyes, you struggle to regain control, reduce your insanity to zero. And a 13 plus is a bolt of pain is followed by a sudden realization, gain the lure epilepsy fighting art.
2: That's the one I was thinking about before with, um, absence seizures. Yeah. Uh, there's something very interesting to note about this one, um, and uh either of you spotted what it is, it's from the 1 to 3 result. Very unusual.
1: Um, is it just flat out that you straight away go to a brain trauma? So, yes. I mean, instant chance to kill. Um, yeah. If you're very unlucky and then essentially if you've got a team of four and you get very bad rolls without any lifetime re-rolls, hand over. Yeah. look next time.
2: Absolutely. This is one of the only cards that causes, causes you to roll a brain trauma outside of the showdown phase. And interestingly enough, this is one of the only ways you can roll a 13 on the brain trauma table, which is the impossible result. Because if you happen to have otherworldly luck from the Flower Knight expansion, which is plus one to rolls in the settlement and hunt phases, and you have accepted darkness, you've got plus three on your roll. So if you roll a 10 on this result, you can get one of the rarest things in the game happen to you. So that's, I think, one of the things worth noting. And yeah, you're right. Early on, you can get head spitting pain. Each survivor could potentially 1 to 3 chance of getting the brain trauma and then a 20% chance of death. So the Gorm hunt can be very rough. As for the rest of it as well, you know, you can lose your dis- insanity, which is bad if that happens early on, because there are, is stuff that causes brain event damage that the Gorm does quite a bit. Um, and the lure epilepsy fighting art, which I have here, is once per showdown, you may spend your activation to give yourself a seizure. You suffer a random brain trauma and you are knocked down, which is its not the best fighting art, I'd say. Not great, really. A bit better when you have accepted darkness, so you don't like have a 20% chance of killing yourself with your activation. But,
1: you know. So what's the idea behind using that? I, mean- I
2: have no idea. It feels like one of those fighting arts that we tend to just cycle away. We... <clears throat> With Except Darkness, you do get that plus two to the roll, so you could try and hit Frenzy. But when you have three disorders, if you do this and gain another disorder, you have a 10% chance of dying again. You go back to this sort of awkward position. So generally, people
0: don't use it. The only thing I think of is if you don't want to make yourself a threat and you want to get knocked down.
2: True. true. I think there are other um, things that let you knock yourself down and not be a threat that, that are better, though. Like the um, Fecal Salve, for example, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, I, I guess the fighting deck needs to have some cards that aren't all amazing, you know, it, sometimes you get something that's a little bit either situational or tricky to use, and who knows, in the future there might become some kind of play that is quite good with a lure epilepsy, but at the moment I don't think very much of it, and on the whole, this is just probably one of the worst cards to draw when you're hunting a Gorm.
0: Yeah, this is a pretty bad one. So next yeah, up, rough. we have Itchy Palms. Ooh, is su- quite in the same order then. The survivors come across a field of huge boulders worn on all sides with deep, smooth grooves. If any survivor has three-plus understanding, they realize the Gorbs use these stones to scratch their enormous, delicate palms. Armed with these fresh tracks, they must hasten to their quarry, skipping the next hunt space. This moves the survivors into the monster space. They ambush the monster. Um, if no survivors have plus three understanding, you're all random hunt event. Yeah,
2: pretty straightforward. This one It's a basic hunt event in the early part of the campaign, and then it gives you a a bit of a, a chance to skip a hunt and get a bit faster forward. It's just, you know, it's fine. It's it's good. It's interesting ish, and it's um, it's always welcome to draw this because at worst it's just another basic hunt event.
0: The other thing uh, I don't think there's many basic. Not basic. There's many monster hunt cards that let you actually skip a space and give a chance to ambush. It's mostly random hunt events, which are a lot harder to trigger when it's just one of seven cards.
1: Mind if I interject and just, uh, what's, what's the value rate for skipping random hunt events? So I know a lot can be bad, but there must be some that make, you make it worth not skipping. I mean, an ambush is one turn set up, which obviously can give you an advantage in the start, but... Surely a random hunt event, the chances are in your favor to get something good.
0: It's mixed, so um, it's more to the bad side than the good side, typically. Right. Um, The ambush is really, really nice, even if later, um, because it also lets you ignore setup rules for a lot of things. So you can start right next to the monster and just pound on him for the first round. um, Okay. And get everything you want. Where normally you have to set up within you know six spaces of the monster or whatever it is, so like ambush really lets you like I'm going to start in the monster's blind spot and just beat the hell out of him, and, and it lets you skip a couple of cool things. So ambush is really nice. That's quite handy then. So I imagine
1: later levels wise, if you're going up against say for example a level three Gorm, that would be a lot more valued than say for example a level one where you're just turning out to fight it.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you go up to if you get a free round of of. Hitting it—that's that's great. Oh, that's ideal then. All right, I'm gonna move on to the next card while we're waiting for Fen to come back. No worries, I've got him set out in front of me. All right, so next up is Horizon of Bones. The darkness ahead is filled with steady flashes of green light. Enormous piles of jagged bones. Forbidden lines, forbiddenly lines the horizon in an unbroken line. Inhuman, mournful laughter echoes through the air. Any survivor has five plus hunt XP and three plus courage. You press forward. Fearfully sneaking through the bone wall. All survivors gain plus one courage. If nobody has five plus hunt and three courage, you just roll random hunt event. So again, this is one of those uh, higher level party kind of gets a benefit here. Otherwise, you roll random hunt.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's more of a case of you could avoid a bad deal here. But I mean, at, at which point higher level, once you've maxed out your courage, it's kind of it's literally is just skip a hunt event.
0: Yeah, I mean, it gives everyone else in your team some courage, which is nice. So it's always... Courage is one of the harder things to come by easily. It's always a random event that typically gives it. Okay. So what happens when you max out courage on a character? So you max out courage, you get to do... Well, first you get... Well, depending on which campaign you're playing, you get bold. And then you get um, See the Truth, which gives you some cool things. Typically, I'm trying to think of them all. One of the things you get is a... (laughs) free surge action or, or free activation okay. each turn that must be used on a weapon um the other thing is uh you can have bitter uh, bitter frenzy which means you can go in frenzy and use fighting arts and weapons specialization for everyone yeah and there's one more i don't recall it off the top of my head but they're all they're all pretty nice
1: so basically if you can take courage take it with both hands open arms give it a big hug yeah courage is,
0: is always your friend
1: so have you come across Horizon of Bones a lot in your campaign or not? Because I know you've done a, a few. Um, I mean, I don't know how often you, you would choose to hunt a Gorm,
0: whether early or late game. Most of our Gorms has been early game and mid game. I don't recall this coming up that often. So typically when I'm playing, I'm setting up the monster and everything and Matt's reading off cards. So this could come up, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good sign. It's probably, oh, this comes up and he yells at me to roll a random hunt of it. That's probably what happens. Yeah. All right. I know the exact same feeling. That's Fen's job, basically, with me. All right, I'm going to keep going through these. Uh, next up is Morning Bull. Uh, you approach the fresh corpse of a gorm. The survivors must choose to steer clear or go near. Uh, steer clear. The survivors hear a mournful cry rising in, the, in their backs and each suffer three brain event damage go near another gorm charges out of the darkness waiting mournfully the survivors are ambushed start to showdown immediately gorm gains a plus one damage token so this is an interesting one this is you can choose the everyone gets three brain damage or you can start the showdown early get ambushed and the match is going to get some plus damage um this this is fifty fifty of what you want to do depending on what's going on i think uh, i was gonna say this
1: this seems like a no one wins situation being ambushed and the extra damage is i mean early levels from where i've played is uh a bit scary um then free brain event damage uh, i know at least with our campaign at the moment it's it's not something i would even want to attempt to risk
0: welcome back fan
2: yeah sorry about that my discord just halted stopped doing anything i couldn't close it i couldn't shut it down i had to reboot to get back on i do apologize
0: Right, where are we? We're talking about the Morning Bowl. Or, yeah, Morning Bowl.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Um, I usually steer clear. I don't like taking three brain event damage, but it is on the event damage. It does suck fighting the Gorm with light brain injuries all round, but sometimes early in the campaign, plus one damage from the Gorm is horrific as well. It's a tough card, this one.
0: What about late game if like you're fighting a level three and this is the first card that comes up?
2: If you're packing beacon shields, it doesn't matter how much damage the Gorn puts out because you're just flat ignoring it. Um, but it's it's situational. I mean, it, obviously, if you've got tons of um, think, because obviously you've got, got to deal with the final march, so you have to think about the guy who's inside the Gorn being digested, which we'll talk about a bit later. Then you got to think whether you've got enough insanity and in everything and the value of your survivors. So it's uh, it's yeah, it's not an easy answer. It's very situational for me. Uh, yeah, I, I like this card though because you you do have a meaningful choice, and both of them are difficult to make. I know early on I've played with my friends and they went, "We'll just have the a Gorm turn up and get ambushed by it," and it was rough.
1: I feel like early game though, if it was say for example in our campaign mm-hmm. or anything else, I would probably still go go near because the the brain event damage is literally just it. You know, it's too it's too soon. Um, I'd, yeah. I'd at least. You know, even if I lose a survivor, at least I'm not having four survivors basically almost on the edge of death. Whereas I could lose them all, but I have a, a bit of a fighting chance against that Gorm. But obviously, we've only done the Gorm what maybe once or twice. Yeah. So yeah. might be different once I see the, uh, the the baby hands and testicle a bit more. <laughs> and that context is completely up to you guys. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I do. I do get your point, and that's why I think I like this card because it's not an immediate, simple answer. It is a bit of a discussion on
0: what uh, what's right or not necessarily. So yeah, I think in our current campaign, we did uh, stay clear, uh, steer clear, and uh, mm-hmm. we got our boxes checked. And then the very first card was his intimidate card, and he caused brain trauma on everyone. And then uh, oh, we scary. had one or two people die from it because we didn't have. Uh, except Darkness, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, you've had a rough run on your current campaign, haven't you?
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a little tough.
2: Uh, well, you know, a weakness is anathema to strength, so
0: just keep pushing forward. All right, fan. can you get the next card up? I have uh, Mating Fields here.
2: Okay, Mating Fields. Right. So uh, this one I quite like. This one's an analog to the um, Scratching Grounds from the White Lion. Um ahead the ground is covered in mounds of foul-smelling corrosive vomit just like town after a saturday night any survivors that cho- may ch- any of the survivors may choose to investigate each that does gains plus1 courage and rolls on the table on a 1 to 3 um you, wading through the sickening pools burns your legs and produces nothing and you suffer 1 event damage to the legs location um on a 4 to 8 you are dizzy and filled with regret you Suffer one brain event damage, and on a nine plus, a pool of sick contains a surprising treasure that gave one random gorm resource. If no survivors investigate, you get a random hunt event. So, just like scratching grounds, I am always investigating this. Always, any chance to get extra resources is worth the risk of damage to legs for me or brain damage. Like, I don't mind that this that. that on a 1 to 8, there's negative stuff that happens on here. If I can get random Gorm resources, I will take them. Um, except later on in the campaign, where um, I'm pretty sure, feel confident I I can crit most of the resources out of Gorm.
0: The plus one courage is also really nice. So me and Ryan were talking about how it's a little bit Courage is one of the hardest things to get in the game, I think.
2: It is difficult, yeah. Interestingly, it was turned out People of the Sun gives you buckets of courage. Like, it gets handed out a fair bit, which makes sense. Um, because it's a bit more themed differently, but yeah, it's courage. Uh, yeah, courage in people of the stars is very hard to come by. It's very hard in people of the lantern as well. So I'll take
0: whatever. Yeah,
2: it's a good card, and I'm always happy to see it.
0: All right, and then we have the last one, Sportsman Kill. You want to get that one too, fun <laughs> I love this
2: one. We were, yeah, we when my Thursday group we had this Sportsman Kill every time we went after a gorm which came to of a great little joke. So the survivors pass a finely armoured man, commanding a retinue of slaves, who are busy butchering the remains of an enormous gorm. The man proudly invites the survivors to marvel at his skill. You roll 1d10. Uh, on a one to 3 the man paints your face with a foul-smelling bilious fluid. The event revealer starts the showdown with the priority target token. On a 4-7, the man warns you of the dangers just beyond your vicinity. You may re-roll one random hunt event result during this hunt phase. And on an 8+, the man takes pity on you and whispers a secret. At the start of the showdown, the event revealer reveals the top card of the AI deck and chooses to replace it or put it on the bottom of the AI card deck. So, even the downside to this isn't necessarily a big downside because on the right character, having the priority target token is very useful and even knowing which character is going to be targeted first can allow you to play slightly differently, set them up in a safer location. So on. Um, the reroll on a random hunt event is phenomenally good uh, to avoid anything apart from the harvester, which you can't reroll. And then the last one is kind of a bit more subtle, I think, because I know the first few times we played, the guys were like, Oh, this doesn't seem that great. And I, got a background of playing ccgs professionally and i was like oh no no any deck if you can look at the top card and go either i'm going to draw that or put it on the bottom of the deck it's actually very powerful so this is a great result it's a nice bit of flavor it always gets a chuckle when somebody gets a load of fluid pasted across their face as well so
0: i like it i just imagine the hunter from jumanji that that's that's yeah
2: yeah oh what's his name um Ah, oh, the Thrill of the Hunt from from World of Warcraft, what's his name?
1: From World of Warcraft?
2: Yeah, the Hunter.
1: Oh, uh, I mean I should I played a game, I should know, but I don't. Yeah. Um what I would say is if if uh if that is the case, does that make Josh the one and only What year is it? <laughs> Jumanji survivor that's been, you know, lasting all this time. Robin Williams.
2: Uh, how many times have you looped, Josh? Uh, quite a careful. few, isn't it? We click and miss.
1: I mean, that does pose a good question. How likely would you be willing to fight a Gorm in real life if you got sucked into the game?
2: i have got all the same anything. setup
1: that all these characters have. You have to fight, you know. How likely is it that you're actually going to go, mm, actually, that Gorm looks pretty good. I want to take it on for its its uh, its items and weapons.
2: It is. You've got to admit, yeah, I do agree. Now you look at this, it is a um, it's a big, beastly, scary looking thing to imagine that these guys are going out in loincloths with swords made out of bone and sharp rocks to attack. It is pretty, you know, I possibly mean, at best. Some of them have maybe a few like weapons made from bits of the white lion. Yeah, but, but I've always maintained that the survivors in Kingdom Death are like a cut above humans. They survive being disemboweled and stuff. It's just a minor inconvenience.
1: <laughs> it's just a minor inconvenience.
2: It is. They're better in within a year. <laughs> I mean, insides, we're outsides, but I'm all right now.
1: I mean, the amazing thing to me is that you'll get a population and they're ready to fight straight, aw- straight away. So you've got to imagine that... There's a one year old or even younger than that, that's basically human size given a sword and said, go, go fetch and kill. Fight <laughs> or, the you...
2: <laughs> elephant, my son.
1: <laughs> yeah. Basically, there's a big elephant outside. I don't want to deal with it. You're a newborn. Go, you know, go, go prove your worth. Or there's the alternative, which is that Fen's told me, um, from, I believe your campaign, Josh, where, um, there's, there's a baby and a sword. And if there's half a chance, the, the baby will, will be ignored for the sword. Yep, yep. I always ignore the, the baby for the sword.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I had to carry the baby and I fight against the Sunstalker. It was very inconvenient on a Thursday. It meant it took three rounds to kill it because I could only roll one dice to attack.
1: I mean, what's more useful, wielding a baby or wielding a sword?
2: Do you know what's really sad? That baby died the following year immediately, and it was killed by by our survivors. Not... <laughs> didn't die in a fight we rescued a baby and then slaughtered it it was horrific
1: i mean the name of the guy
2: was gone gone sorry i was just saying the name of the guy i was thinking of is Hemet nesting <laughs> yes.
1: from
2: world of warcraft he's a wonderful hunter
1: i was gonna say like um law wise for kingdom death it's so sort of out there Hmm. I mean, you've got a dog that's turned into a knight, you've got a lion that's basically wanted human hair, or no, human hands, so it stroked a hmm. human's head multiple times in delicate hands. So, I mean, it's possible that any babies you abandoned for a sword could turn into a Gorm.
2: Maybe Gorms are abandoned babies originally, who knows? They certainly have a lot of tantrums.
1: And then, And then you go and kill them after you've abandoned them. I mean, if the point is to make you feel bad, I think they've nailed it.
2: Most people, the Gorms seem to produce a very visceral reaction from them one way or another. I adore them. Uh, the Gorm was the first bit of Kingdom Death I ever bought. Even before the core game, I bought a Gorm to paint. That Gorm now is on Josh's shelf. <laughs>
1: That's a nice little tidbit.
2: That was my first ever Kingdom Death model painted, first one ever bought. And I have painted three Gorms, which is more than I painted any other monster in the game. And I always enjoy it every time just the right mix of creepy and bizarre.
1: I mean, it's got to be better than the tree, eh, Finn?
0: <sighs> You're as bad as Charles, you are. The tree. <laughs> I'll get it finished one day. So going back to the hunt event real quick. Um, Finn, yep. do you think this is one of the great game hunters that they come across? I think it almost certainly is a great game hunter. Yeah.
2: I think his name might be Josh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anything else we want to talk about the hunt or, or is that it? Well, I think just in general terms, it's
2: worth mentioning that compared to the other early game hunts, um, especially the White Lions, uh, this was quite brutal. It is very, like, the amount of damage you can take and brain damage and, and things. I mean, this is one of the few places where there's a, you can die from brain trauma on a hunt. You know, that's just... Um, it's rough. And while the Gorm fight itself, I think is definitely, it's different, it's on par with the white lion. I think the hunt is harder than the white lions one. I think I might even say it's almost as bad as the antelope one, given that the antelope can have the, the lion gambit. So yeah, it's uh it's rough, um, but it's worth it.
1: I mean, interestingly, there's not a lot of movement on the actual Gorm itself. Hmm. Yeah. All the movement seems to be that either it gets closer to you, or that's it. And well, I know later levels it's going to appear further on the hunt field. Mm-hmm. But even then, I am i mean, obviously the lion, it gets a little bit of movement. The goat's all over the place. Or the antelope. I like to think of them as a goat. Danger deer! I would have thought that being such a big creature, and it it can move quite quick. It's got quite a good movement distance on it as well. When when obviously you guys get to that um, the point of the stats, mm. you'd think that it would it would kind of rampage a little across the board. It's got the size, it's got the weight, and obviously when you go to fight it, if it suddenly turns and goes for you on the hunt board and you're not ready, like we've already seen with the ambush card, um, it would be it would be quite the like, oh snap! This is this is this is it.
2: Yeah. Well, when we do talk about the AR cards, I've got a nice little story about one of my friends' first ever encounters with a gorm. So and and it was something to do with that kind of experience. So yeah,
1: yeah.
0: All right, so Should we dig into the AI cards then?
2: I think we should. I'll take the basic AI card and I will go through that. So. Uh, first of all, the Gorm, depending on level, has a variety of different stats and bonuses. And interestingly, the Gorm's behavior, I think, changes from one level to another more than maybe any other monster, really. It genuinely feels different at the higher levels. Um, so the level one has eight basic cards out of ten and two advanced cards out of eight. Its movement is six and its toughness is eight. So... That's parallel to the White Lion, except it's got one less advanced card and one more basic card, um, which should make the Gorm a bit more predictable, but I still haven't got my head around how the Gorm behaves um, in full, and I'm hoping actually tonight we'll finally nail down exactly what it prefers to target. At level 2, it gets 9 basics and 5 advance, uh, so that's a total of 15 wounds it will have. Its movement's up to 9, which is a big jump. And then it has 11 toughness, plus 1 speed, plus 1 damage. Also, you have to deal with the Fetid grotto event when you go in, um, which we will talk about at uh, some point. And it has two traits, the Gorm's Den and Must, Must. which we will um, talk about in a moment. And finally, the level 3 has 10 basics, 8 advanced and 2 legendaries. And you'll notice the movement drops down to 8. so the old ancient Gorm is a little bit slower than a Gorm in its prime. I like that. Nice touch. Uh, it has 15 toughness, which is very high for a um, Latin Year 1 monster. Uh, plus 2 speed, plus 2 damage. And also you have to do final march when you depart to a Level 3 Gorm. And the Gorm has Ancient Tusks and Gorm Yard. It also gets plus 1 luck, making it harder to crit than normal. Its instinct is to illuminate, which is the Gorm's Bulb, increases in intensity, suddenly making the darkness light. Until the end of the round, all survivors are now threats, even if they're knocked down or have used an effect that says otherwise. Insane survivors are thrown into wild fits and they are knocked down. So that is kind of like a slightly more powerful version of the White Line Sniff. But its basic action is closest threat facing range. Then it'll target closest survivor and field of view. If there are no targets, it'll illuminate and essentially it moves and attacks the target at two speed, two plus accuracy with one damage. Um, so it's just it's different enough from the white line um, that I, I think it has its own character. Definitely. Um, before we go into the AI deck, should we talk about uh, the journeys to the various gorms or should we leave that till the end?
0: Let's talk. Let's go over everything first, and then we'll go into yep. level two and three. I think that's normally sure. what we do. That's great. Okay, no problem.
2: Okay, so I will take the basic actions, and if you don't mind having the advanced ones, Josh. Sure, sounds good. Right, give me Anan movement. Um, I'm just making sure I've got all of them. I believe I do. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start, I'm afraid there's no particular order, uh, we're going to start with the Posture in Piss. Uh, this is a mood card, this is one of the ones that if it turns up early on, it's incredibly beneficial. Um, so when this comes into play, you draw an AI card, so it will uh, the Gorm will take another action as well. The Gorm then asserts its dominance over the challenging Survivor. When the survivor ends their act in the gorm's blind spot, if they have any armor points at the legs location, reduce them to zero. Otherwise, they suffer monster level damage to that location. If the gorm is defeated when this card is in play, if they've not innovated yet, this settlement gains the ammonia innovation. So, this is just—is it interesting because it cuts you off from being able to attack the gorm in the blind spot, but also the first time you get it, you get ammonia for free, and that is huge. You know that can help you get to leather very quickly and I'm always happy to see this card come up pretty early on Um, you can attack the Gorm in the blind spot if you happen to start there or if you plan to dash out afterwards Um, I've never yet seen anyone be willing to get peed on by the Gorm though so
0: the other thing we're going to as we go through the cards and notice that it's not best to attack Gorm in the blind spot that's not really his his best spot so this actually kind of helps you fight the Gorm
2: It does, it does, yeah. Um, We'll do the other mood now, which is Thunderfoot. Again, when you draw this, um, when this comes to play, you will draw another AI card, so it will do something else as well. Any survivor that ends their act in the stomping zone suffers knockback five and is knocked down. Now, the stomping zone is three spaces in all directions from the Gorm, including diagonals, so it's a big, big area, because the Gorm is a three-by-three monster anyhow, so this is a massive area. It's a nine by nine grid. That's 81 squares minus the nine that the Gorm itself takes up. Uh, when this gets wounded, when the monster is wounded, this gets discarded. So this is kind of like the number of um, uh, moods that the white line has, where it will do something in an area effect that eventually gets discarded. Um, generally, this one's, it's, it's all right, this one. It's not that bad or big of a problem. Do you ever have much interaction with Thunderfoot Josh, because I find generally it gets knocked off very quickly.
0: Yeah, it normally gets knocked off quick. It's like, all right, we'll take the bow guy, shoot with it, get rid of it, or we'll take some of that we know that's going to hit and mm. just take it out. Yeah. It's never been like, oh, this is a challenge to get rid of. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, right, so then we have Wallop, which
2: effectively is the basic action for the Gorm. Uh, let me just check. Not quite, slightly different Uh, because its initial target is closest threat in field of view in range, and then if there isn't a target there, it will choose a random survivor in range, and then it will illuminate. Uh, Straightforward, it'll move and attack at two speed, two plus accuracy, dealing one damage. That's just a a bit like the claw in the white line, it's a very basic uh, attack. Unlike the Aggravated Bite, which is a slightly more advanced version of this card, it will target closest threat facing range, then closest threat in field of view, uh, again, this is speed two, accuracy two plus, dealing one damage. But after damage, it will bleed one. Not so relevant at the lower levels, but um, at the higher levels, bleed can become an issue that you do need to manage when fighting a gorm, especially against the um, level three gorms. Right. Uh, then we have the body check. This is a random survivor in range. If there's no target, it will illuminate. It moves and attacks. It's speed one, accuracy two plus one damage. After damage, it will bash down a monster and then knock back seven. So this is kind of the Gorm throwing its weight in at people. Um, uh, those are, well, we're not commenting too much on these because these are fairly sort of straightforward, really. There's not a lot to say about these ones. Um, then there is scratch which I think always remains threatening, Scratch. Generally, you have to dodge this attack. Closest threat facing in range, or then closest threat in field of view, or if there's no target, it will illuminate. Uh It is speed 1, accuracy 2+, plus, damage 1, but before you even roll for damage, it will reduce all armor points at all rolled hit locations to 0. So this is always a threatening card. Um, I, it doesn't come up too often, because there's only one copy of it, but... uh have you ever been savaged by Scratch, Josh?
0: Um, I think I've managed to either dodge it or, or ignore it for whatever reason. But yeah, this can be nasty, especially if you have someone that's a tank that has just high armor. It's just like, yeah, yeah. your high armor doesn't matter anymore. Yeah,
2: this is pretty frightening um, with the level three, because obviously it's rolling three dice to attack with. That can be very nasty. But early game, if you have someone with no armor, yeah. then it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's It's just like not much at all at that point. Uh Right, then we have the back slap, which is one of those fun little things. Um, it's a little bit of an event on the board when you play with this one. So you pick the closest threat facing in range, then this next target is the closest threat in field of view. If it doesn't have any targets on those, it will illuminate. We then have a flow step before the move and attack target, and you have to turn the gorm so the target's in the monster's blind spot they get, um, it's a one speed, two plus accuracy attack with one damage that if it hits will cause knockback five, and then finally you turn the Gorm to face the target, so effectively the Gorm like winds up and just spins around with a, a really heavy slap, which I think is a nice little image, um, and there is a minor benefit to the extra flow step before it turns back as well, but it's not
0: that much to concern yourself with. Yeah, it's not much. Uh, Interesting. I just imagine him backslapping them with one of their little hands, not the big hand.
1: Oh yeah, I think <laughs> that would be amusing. Is it? Is it multiple slaps because it's not back five?
2: Well, it could be. But speaking of multiple slaps, we do have the um, the more arm toss coming up next, which definitely is is that. I, I believe we had an encounter with this, didn't we? The when we fought the gorm.
1: So uh, yeah, I mean, did. Most of the things I remember from fighting the gorm was, don't stay in the face, don't stay in the face, don't stay in the state, don't. Blah, blah, blah. Basically that. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was I could attack from behind. No, I'm not allowed to attack from behind. The butt the butt is off limits. Can't attack the butt. Don't attack the butt. And then it was just basically, okay, I can attack the sides, I think I'm okay, until I realise that one of the hit location cards that you'll go over is it steps back two and then it's got that range again for vomiting. Yeah. And suddenly it just became how do I deal with something that just constantly keeps backing up?
2: Mm. Back that ass up. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Morarm Toss targets a random threat in range, then a random survivor in range, and if there are no targets, somehow then it will illuminate. Flow step, then it will full move towards the target. Starting with the target, it makes a separate attack against each survivor adjacent to the Gorm. And as I mentioned earlier, the Gorm has a 3x3, three three, so it's a 9-square footprint, so it is quite a large area that it could be attacked. Uh, Each survivor will be attacked with two speed, accuracy two plus, one damage. And after damage, again, they get knocked back five. This one has jaw paralysis, though. So if you've managed to inflict a jaw paralysis injury, the Gorm's limp more hands caress nearby faces. Nice little image. All survivors directly in front of the monster gain plus three insanity. So it kind of runs up and flops its more hands around and ineffectively. It gives everyone a, a little facial... Massage. I mean,
1: Something I like, like to think to... on that image that the gorm is basically singing Celine Dion to people whilst it's stroking their faces. You know, really, really selling its love. To, it's it's there with them.
0: Yeah. It uh, only seems fitting with the plus three insanity. Just just watching this giant <laughs> thing just caress your your face.
2: <laughs> it's weird that that is its paralysis makes the 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 arms friendly rather than they're not they're not paralyzed as such. They're 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 just kind of yeah you know, touching people inappropriately.
1: I mean, maybe that says something about how the Gorm come to be, because I mean, it could be that those little arms could have been victims or something else. And that every time it it kills one, it it eats it. That's where it goes. And so they're just, they're just hands controlled by it. Once you, once you paralyze that jaw, it loses its control. And suddenly they just want to hug and, hug and caress people's faces until they, uh, until they die, basically.
2: Gonna love him and squeeze him and hug him and then call him George. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that Bugs Bunny model to come in.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, well, I have got a Bunny Girl Twilight Night.
1: You do indeed. Yep,
2: yeah, I've got to finish painting her. I just got a little thrown off because her legs are so incredibly long that when you straighten her up, she looks weird. When When you straighten her up in your mind, you can't straighten the model up. Anyway. Right, so we've got two left to go. Next, we've got the strobe, which is the Gorm's only basic intimidate action. Uh, It turns to face the most survivors, then targets all survivors in the monster's facing. It intimidates all of them. Uh You roll 1d10 for each target. On the result of a 3+, plus, they suffer star brain damage, monster-level brain damage, and a knockdown. And then the Gorm, after a flow step, will turn to face the opposite board edge. So this is where I made the reference of Gorms turning into disco balls, because this is pretty much how I imagine, like, you know, the Gorm is effectively spinning around, flashing and strobing, you know, and uh Operation Blade is playing in the background, or if you prefer Kerncraft 500, some kind of ba- dance tune.
1: If possible, so Darude played.
2: Sandstorm. Oh, yeah, Darude Sandstorm, fantastic. Or, you know, Sand Roll, if you prefer.
1: Yep, Sand Roll.
2: Yeah. Um, we actually, the, the Gorm that we fought um, on stream, which is in the lost episode, because I am numpty and lost it, uh, did this a lot, didn't it? It was constantly strobing towards the end. It was getting to be a bit frightening. If we didn't have Survivor the Fittest um, with the 1.5 rules, we'd have probably lost at least one Survivor.
1: I think we reused about three lifetime rolls as well.
2: Yeah, it was a lot to keep them alive.
1: Yeah, rough. On to my next favourite move, though.
2: Hiccup. Yeah. Targets the furthest survivor in range. If there's no targets, it will illuminate. You're a 1d10 for each adjacent survivor. On a result of a 4+, plus, they're knocked down. And then you get the flow step. So if it hiccups, you've got no chance to react about getting knocked down. And this is not bash so if you're immune to bash like you're wearing leather armor that doesn't work this is a straight knockdown then after the flow step it will retch where it moves backwards two spaces and anyone in the vomit zone will suffer monster level damage to a random location that ignores armor so obviously kind of an inconvenience against level one scary against level two where you'll take two and that's an immediate severe injury against the level three unless you're packing a fetusaurus um The Vomit Zone itself is one space to either side of the Gorm and four spaces forward. So that is a four by five area. Um, And because the Gorms bounce back two spaces, it's going to hit people who were adjacent to it, who weren't in the right and left flanks. So this is where you kind of learn about the whole Mammoth Hunt thing, where you want to use reach two or higher weapons. So you're not in the Vomit Zone when it bounces backwards, or you want to be in the left and right flanks as opposed to left and right cheek. And then Hiccup goes back on top of the deck. So this poor little... As, as I said, it's sometimes it's got traits of a baby, and this is one of them. It just hiccups and hiccups and hiccups. Um, you can take advantage of that sometimes, because if you leave it hiccuping itself to the board edge, you can clear up all of the resources and then wait until it's in an advantageous position before tackling it and taking it on again.
1: I think a, a key way to use this uh, card, if you can, if you can... Um, set up the AI deck to as you wish is spear users because you can basically take the corner um, try and keep this one sort of Mm -hmm. going and then just keep chucking them down so if obviously if you know you've got a spear you can put one in front of this one try and pop and then try and just get rid of it so you can at least predict the next few moves and keep it going back
2: You actually gave me an idea as well Um, with the rawhide headband which will look at the top two cards and rearrange them you could actually move the hiccup down a space and peel a card off.
1: And that's let it, I and mean, then bring it back hiccup. up so you can keep yeah. staying at that corner yeah, that, and I get through the AI. That.
2: Yeah, that, that, if the combination... I, I don't know about a spear, because spears tend to have two speed, but you could do it with a rib blade, because that's slow. And, well, I feel and, like the
1: main point of the spear is that, obviously, you're in the corner. You're not in the, um, yeah. the rear that you could obviously get in and do it, but... Mm. Well, you can Either do it way, from... If you can do it from like the back third space, you yes, should exactly. be all right with pulling this yeah. maneuver because it's only going to yeah. move back to and you're going to be safe from within that spot.
2: That's a really, really good way of safely killing a Gorm. Like, in fact, you could go two rawhide headbands, two slow weapons, and literally go move the Hiccup down, chip the card off the top, move the Hiccup down, kick, chip, chip the card off the top. And the only risk is if you fail to um, actually remove the card with the wound then it's going to do something and then go back to hiccuping
1: now that, how viable is that in regards that's very, to very viable yeah level twos and threes though
2: oh level twos and threes um well first of all they have to hiccup they're less likely to because they've got so many more cards in the deck but it's yeah. you can still do it you theoretically you can this is nothing stopping you doing that that's a really really good idea I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I'd never thought of that.
0: Another interesting thing you could do is you can let him hiccup and then surge during the activation to knock off an AI card under it. True. So oh, I oh, that cool.
2: Two flow steps you can do before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this, the, I think hiccup might be a, a little blind spot in my repertoire that I wasn't thinking about. That's something that's quite exploitable with the goal. That's fantastic. Um, I think we're on to advanced.
0: Yep. So I'm grabbing them now. So no order. Uh first up we have is Charge. Uh closest threat facing your range, random survivor in field of view, no target eliminate, move and attack target. This is at four speed for two plus accuracy, two damage. The after damage is suffer bash and knockback five. Uh then he full moves towards the closest target. There's a fullest up there, and then if he's gimped, the monster is knocked down. This mm. is nasty. This is nasty, yeah. It's interesting as well, um,
2: I mean, a lot the, the Gimp result is always good for being knocked down, but the way it moves around, it kind of smashes into someone, knocks them back, and then probably chases after them, because they may well be the closest threat still after it knocks them back, but they might not be. If this could suddenly just be in the face of anyone, and it's one of those things why am I, I still have trouble identifying exactly who the Gorm's going to attack.
1: Is there any way to counter this, though? Is there, I mean, obviously, the priority token, if you're willing, to, if you're able to get it, would negate charge or at least make it more predictable. But is there any way to, without the priority token, sort of focus that?
2: Not really. No, you're just going to, you, you know, if you know it's coming with the rawhide headband, you can choose who the target's going to be to make sure they've got lots of evasion. Um or try and chip it off the deck by wounding before it happens. But if the Gorm charges in the first round, uh, you know, and there is a chance that a level one Gorm might do that, uh, it's pretty horrific.
1: So this is definitely one of those ones where as soon as you see it, you want to try and mark the place and burn it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've got to deal with the Gorm fast because it's serious. All right. So next up we have Eat and Run. So this is random threat facing in range. Closest threat in field of view. Uh, no target illuminate. Uh, let's move and attack. Two speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. After damage, if the attack dealt damage more than once, so full move the gorm toward, forward in a straight line and perform grab. Uh, grab is placed the fiber knocked down. In front of the monster, mo- they suffer uh, monster-level damage at random hit location.
2: So the Gorms, one of the three uh, off the top of my head, three monsters that grabs because I know the Manhunter grabs and the White Lion's obviously well known for grabbing. So it's uh this is kind of nasty because of the two damage, and then of course the grab dealing more damage after that.
0: I think the other big threat is the targeting; it's a random threat, you can't really True. choose. So, yeah.
2: well, it's uh, random threat facing. So if you have I mean, one I, person in the front facing, you're okay.
1: I guess is. This is where that sort of um, epilepsy card comes in. The lure epilepsy, you could probably, if if that person was in particular danger, you could throw that down, take the damage, mm-hmm. and avoid this You'd sort need of to setup.
2: You do it before it targets, but yes, you could. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's pretty. This is a rough card, but like I think a lot of the advanced cards are pretty rough from the Gorm.
0: Yeah. So next up, I have Flatten, uh, random survivor in blind spot. Uh, otherwise closest survivor in field of view in range. No target illuminate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's move and attack. Turn the gorm so the target is in the monster's blind spot. It's uh 5 speed. 2 plus accuracy. 2 damage. After damage, target suffers bash and knockback 5. But then the gorm knocks itself down. Yeah. So,
2: here's story time. Very briefly, um, I took the Kingdom Death to play with some of my friends. We only played it like a little bit casually just to for them to experience it a bit. Not a full campaign job um lantern year two they decided they wanted a fight a gorm they wanted to have a go of it um we set up and i let people do what they wanted to do so um one player steve wanted to set up with the bow far away from anyone else the gorm flattened chose him because he was a uh, closest survivor in field of view uh and uh charged at him and that was the end of his survivor and the, it didn't matter; the gorm was knocked down. It was too far away from anyone else. So he learnt a very harsh lesson very quickly. Um, on the the lesson he took from it was that Kingdom Death is a random game. It's really random, and I don't like it. As opposed to pay attention to where you stand, don't be stupid. So yeah, it was uh, it was quite a funny moment. But jeez. I uh, I hadn't seen Flatten before at that point when it happened. And I was like, holy crap! That was a rough gorm fight.
0: The thing to note, which I didn't realize, is the knockdown's only good if you can surge, because he gets back up at the beginning of the survivor's turn. Yep. Yep. You can't surge either, because there's no flow step. Oh, that's true. So, it, it it's just thematic. Yeah, it is just thematic, yep.
1: I mean, in the ideal situation, which obviously it won't be, if this does, you know, pull the, it has no target illuminate, um, it's still does. It still knock itself down, or is no? It does. It it ignores. It only the... does that once. It does the attack. Correct. Yeah. It, it
2: will. When you hit the illuminate, you just go straight to that, and the illuminate will happen, and the gorm
1: ends its turn. And is there any abilities or fighting arts that basically mean that you can't be knocked down? Uh,
2: no, but when you get weapon mastery. Of fist and Tooth. everyone in the settlement is able to stand themselves up at the start of the survivor's turn and the start of the monster turn so being knocked down becomes quite trivial because you can get up when you want to if you want to stay laying on the ground for the monster's turn you can um, or you can just be straight up on your feet so it's one so of the reasons people value fist and Tooth so highly
1: ideally you'd want to have one person take the hit for the team and the others move in on a 3 plus hit
2: well, you can't because the gong just gets back up which is what we were just talking about you need a, in order to target the Gorm during its turn, you need one of those arrowed flow steps that you see on the screen. Uh, okay. And there isn't one after it's knocked down, so then at the start of our turn, the monster will always stand up. So, in other words, the Gorm just thematically knocks itself over while flattening you and then gets back to its feet straight away and, you know.
1: I mean, uh, it seems fine. bizarre that they'd even put that in there if you can't take advantage of it
2: well there is stuff like with the strobe with the spin the the gorm does a few sort of like odd moves that are basically you get to play around with the toy is more or less the way to describe it. you know the gorm does a little spin when it strobes when it back slaps it slaps and then turns back and it flattens it knocks over it is almost it's almost baby like the way you're playing with it which i think might be an intentional design it may be
1: a choice okay because that was that was just a bit Obviously, as as a new person playing, I was a bit like, this doesn't seem right. I'll ask anyway.
0: No, no. I'm glad you asked. All right, next up I have Rampaging. (laughs) Closest threat facing in range. Move and attack. Two speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. After damage, target suffers bash. Uh, And then there's a flow. It says, full move towards the closest threat in range. Place this card back on top of the AI deck and then perform a basic action.
2: Yeah. This one's kind of rough, because it's going to... If it, the maneuver goes off correctly, it's going to knock down its first target, then pick an, the nearest threat and attack that separately. And then it's going to keep doing that until you get rid of Rampaging. So, you know, pretty brutal. And especially at, at um, the level three, Rampaging level three is damn terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So straightforward to understand, though. Um And you've got the ability that flow step between the attack and when it full moves towards the closest threat to do some dashes to rearrange things a bit. So there is some counterplay to this one.
0: Yeah, but he's going to full move twice. So. True. You're not running it. You're not outrunning it,
2: sadly. Yeah, I wasn't saying you can outrun it. I meant more like you can choose who the second target for the basic action is going to be. You've got an opportunity to encourage someone to their feet to take the hit or, um, or for two player, you know, one, let's hit a tank to dash closer than, say, your support guy or something.
0: Yeah. All right. Next up is Head Thrash. This is a random knockdown survivor in range. This is the first one tar- actually targeting a knockdown survivor. Uh, mm-hmm. Random survivor in range, no targeting, illuminate. It's a move and attack, two speed, two plus accuracy two damage. Then after damage, target sufferers bash, full move the monster away from the closest threat. And then mm-hmm. uh, this has, a, if you have a drop paralysis on him, the Gorm Lymph maw hands, caress nearby faces, and survivors directly in front of it. So it's just exactly like the other one. It is. He caresses things. It's like the equivalent of the lost hand for the white lion. It's got a a few effects. Yeah. Well, it's not as useful. This one's a little more interesting because he runs away from the closest threat. Yeah. Yeah. But that means he could run into a different... Because let's say all threats. It just says from the closest threat. Yeah. So he can run into someone else.
2: It's also interesting it chooses a random knockdown survivor, you know. Which he wants She's to go pick it up with his hands.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: obviously, <laughs> could give it a caress. Yeah,
1: I mean, if it's baby-like, it does. It, it would. It would sort of make sense, though, wouldn't it? It you does. Know, it does. Yeah, it's going on that basis of, oh, I'm a. Uh, someone looks like they might go play with that toy that I don't want to even bother with, so I'm going to go make a fuss over it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there are some definitely some baby-like traits to the the Gorm for us to see there.
1: I find it interesting, though, that you've now got two cards that have the jaw paralysis thrown in. Yeah. Um, because I know from what we've done so far, um, sort of even getting one of those um, sort of permanent injuries only ever really results in sort of one bonus, whereas to have mm-hmm. two, I don't know if there's more, but two potential ones that could benefit you is is quite handy. I mean, that's yeah. definitely a found in stone throw for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely, yeah, if you can crit that, it's very useful. It's great when you can crit a location with a permanent injury that causes the location, the, the card drawn, to be completely neutered. Um, I'd like the crushed spine that you managed earlier today.
1: Yeah, that was uh, a bit hit, and miss, and lucky.
2: <laughs> it was a bit of a Hail Mary, that was. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, so we got Headbutt coming up, have we, Josh? Yep, so Headbutt is a random threat in field of view and range. Uh, move and attack. Uh, one speed, two plus accuracy, one damage. After damage, perform wretch, and wretch is where he jumps back two spaces, and everyone in the bomb zone, which is a f- five by four in front of him, yeah, uh, suffers uh monster level damage to a random hit location that ignores armor. So this is something that higher levels you're gonna see wretch more. Yeah, I think the main thing
2: about this is. This is one of those attacks that you generally need to try and dodge as much as you can because getting hit by the wretch, especially by the higher level ones, is pretty bad. Uh I th- Your tank definitely wants a beacon shield if you're fighting the level 3 because you do not want to get hit like um once by this gorm or even twice and then have it bounce back and wretch on you for a level 3 hit to a random location.
0: Yeah, that's, horrific. that's bad. That's a severe yeah. injury.
2: Three damage, yeah. Straight severe injury, yeah.
1: I mean... From my point of view, is this it doesn't seem as bad as hiccup. I know it's an advanced action, but I mean at least with hiccup there's more of a chance that your survivor's gonna be knocked down flat out and then there's gonna be a wretch. Whereas Mm -hmm. with this you got the chance to dodge. Yeah, um, yeah, low level. And avoid you know, sort of avoid the wretch quite easily.
2: Yeah. You're right. That's what I was talking about near the beginning, how the Gorm really contextually changes as you go up the levels. Because that attack, as you're saying quite rightly, is virtually inconsequential against a level one. But a level two rolls two dice when it attacks you with that, and a level three rolls three. And avoiding three hits at once can be quite challenging, because beacon shields are the only way to block two hits. So you'd have to beacon shield two of the hits, and then dodge the third one if you got hit three times, just to stop this happening. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like I can see why you'd feel from the way you've seen the Gorm so far. I mean, that from this the early game, yeah, just... early game, yes, yeah, definitely.
0: All right, so next up we have Rear Up, which is a duration card. Ooh, very rare. When this card is drawn face down, the Gorm laboriously lifts its front legs and ends its turn. All survivors adjacent to the monster are knocked down. While this card is in play, the Gorm has plus five toughness tokens. When this card is drawn face-up, the Gorm crashes down, all adjacent survivors suffer ran a random severe injury and gain the Megalophobia Disorder. Yeah, so uh, this is a nicely designed card. And, you know, it's like
2: can be quite brutal. Megalophobia sucks. That is, you cannot depart to hunt any monster that has a larger base than 2x2. Two two. So any of the 100 mil larger monsters, you're not allowed to go hunt them anymore while you have Megalophobia. So that in itself is pretty bad, but random spear injury on top of that, uh, and it's quite hard to injure. You know, plus five toughness tokens is. I could see it like a level one gorn rearing up, actually possibly being the end of a hunting party.
0: Yeah, it, it could be bad if like everyone was adjacent to it when this pole was pulled, so yeah. no one could encounter anyone up, and then he's just get a crash on the whole team at the end.
2: Yeah, I but think
0: this is an argument for spears and bows again, or ride. Yeah. So you know this is coming. I, once you once you know this is coming, this is a good way to game it. So true, very true. I am quite
1: surprised that they they put in basically a team killer potentially, because if, it's not if you're one. if you're in a situation where you know you're setting up, there's only maybe one hit, two hits more, and then this pulls up because you've uh, maybe raw headband, you're a bit you're a bit stuffed, aren't you? But there's like there's ways around it. But it's just that that nasty plus five toughness because i imagine that higher levels um with your campaign especially josh you i don't think you'd have a problem would you your strength your strength would sort of counter this to quite a degree but it would just mean that there was a higher chance that it would it would sort of go a bit awry
0: this would probably just be us doing setup for next round so we could do hit location checks and kind of bandage up and everything else like any any support stuff like yeah Maybe yeah. if someone was strong enough to to actually do a wound, do it, but otherwise I would just leave it be yeah, and then last up for the a cards is his other intimidated card, so this is all targets uh, no threat Illuminate. Uh, illuminate all t- all threats, sorry, not all targets. illuminate all targets roll one d ten for each target on a result of a three plus the target suffers modululaful brain damage at a and modululaful level brain to the head location. Full move the gorm towards the furthest threat.
2: Yeah, this is like a more dangerous version of strobe. This is the head damage. This, the head damage. Yeah, no, the gorm does like damage in the head. Yeah, sheesh,
1: it's just rough. That is especially yeah,
2: the It's intimidate. There's no dodging. That's an undodgeable head attack.
1: In regards to the last section, though, um, if I'm learning this right, <laughs> which I'm trying to. The, the flow steps in between, does that mean that you could try and move someone further afield with, say, like a dash to try and um, sort of force the Gorm to go to who you want to attack for that furthest threat, maybe the person that's not suffered the most from that brain damage and head location damage?
2: Certainly. Yeah, you can
0: you, you can game it a bit to pull the Gorm into a,
2: a specific position you're looking for. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think this is where you can use that fighter dart to knock yourself down so you don't get head damage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it would seem like that's probably the best time to use it. You'd need to do
2: it before this happens again, though. You need to raw hide to know it's coming because it's already picked you as a target if you're a threat when it starts. That's true. Uh, yeah.
1: And you'd need the setup of, like you said, Fen, um, the accept the darkness and what else because that random brain trauma risk as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, brain damage. Yeah. It's a, it can be a lot of brain damage. Um, I can see this cropping up
0: on the level three would be, or even the level two could be horrific. For level two, if you don't have any head armor, yet, it's a severe injury.
1: Yeah, yeah. Would it be possible to go into say a level two gorm without fully kitted armor? Is that is that a a thing that happens later on, or
2: not really recommended? Usually, uh, the like, if you get good at the game, then you can, like, go in with one person who's not too well armored. But a level two Gorm is the equivalent, more or less, to a level one Phoenix. And the general rule with, like, fighting the Phoenix is don't go in unless you've got at least three full sets of armor, of which one of them is better than rawhide. So, like, leather and two rawhide. And have paint at the minimum. And it's the same here. You're going to want very similar. So, yeah, I wouldn't be tackling level two Gorms too early on. But the other thing is,
0: uh, sorry, uh, Gorm does a lot of head damage targeting with some stuff, and uh, yeah. you could have a really bad hunt where it just takes out your armor.
2: There's also an extra thing that keeps you away from um, from tackling the Gorm too early, and we'll see that when we talk about the level 2 Gorm's
1: um, traits. Just interesting, just because um, I know, I mean, Josh might be able to fill my knowledge on this and Fen as well, but um, I know that Vagabond armor has been mentioned before, which mm-hmm. is only a few pieces, but Sort of, it, the buffs outweigh the risks. Is that something uh, you've
2: built into, or vagabond armor covers all locations except the head. Um, it, it, so yeah, it's kind of like risky, especially against the gorm to take vagabond armor in because you're wearing less head armor than normal. Yeah, it's uh, vagabond armor is effectively a alternate version of leather armor with yep. more armor on the body in exchange for less armor on the head, but also you get a very powerful ability. We will be talking about Vagabond Armor when we talk about the gear in the next session, because Vagabond Armor has a very strong synergy with one piece of the Gorm's gear.
1: Okie dokie.
0: All right, ready to move on to the legendary cards? Yar. All right, first up we have Ancient Bite. Uh, closest threat face in range, closest threat in field of view, no target illuminate. eliminate. Uh, move in fact target, 3 speed, 2 plus accuracy, 7 damage. Uh, after damage... It's worth target... noting... Sorry, go, on. go uh, on. After damage, the target suffers a bash and bleed 3. The so target dies from the this sound before with... melting horror.
2: Yeah, sorry, but I was... Uh, didn't mean to interrupt, I jumped in too early. Um, uh, it's worth noting that basically this is speed 5, damage 9, because this only ever occurs on a level 3 Gorm. So this is like the big boy. This is horrific, this. I've never seen anyone killed by it. Um. so I've never triggered Melting Horror, and I have fought a few Gorms, but uh yeah. Alright, so melting we'll go into horror. Melting Horror
0: and talk about yeah, that? Yeah.
2: I got it. Shocked to be standing, the bitten survivor clutches their wounds in disbelief. Before the other's eyes, the survivor's look of relief disintegrates as the toxic microbes of the Gorms' ancient bite hungrily liquefy their flesh. All other survivors on the showdown board witness the atrocity. And there's a very a grim picture of a couple of survivors being melted away while some of the other survivors look on in shock and horror and one of them looks kind of perturbed but not too badly as she's holding the guy's hand. Um, on a one to two your mind is melted by the scene unfolding before you unable to erase the after image of gore from your eyes, you slide away to a happy place, you're knocked down and gain the absent seizures disorder, which we talked about earlier. On a three to seven, lightheaded, a gentle spinning sensation brings you to the ground. Heaving and drooling, you take this opportunity to steal your nerves, you gain three survival on the lure epilepsy fighting art. Um on a four, five, six or seven, if you've innovated pottery, the victorious survivors scrape the steel bubbling remains and gain one Le- life elixir gear in the aftermath. So there's a small benefit there. And then finally, 8, 9, or 10, rooted. In a moment of realization, you see that this is the very essence of your existence. Helplessness and terror give way to a cold, solid feeling in the pit of your stomach. As you watch your friend disintegrate, the sensation runs down your legs, rooting you in place, and dissipating your desperate desire to flee. You gain a permanent minus one movement and, and the immovable object fighting art, which is, uh, this is the only way to get that fighting art. There is no other way in the game. Um, So if you do another GORM expansion, you might have looked at this and wondered how you get it. This is it. An immovable object is a secret fighting art. If you are standing on an unoccupied space, you stand firm in the face of any force, you cannot be knocked down and make no knockback. If you occupy the same space as a monster, impassable terrain tile, and another survivor, then you are knocked down and suffer knockback. So, like, it's a cool fighting art, but my goodness, it is very rare that you're ever going to see this and get this, and the price you pay to get it is massive. Um... Does that make you ignore grab then? Um, I think you get put in the space, knocked knocked down. Yeah, if it doesn't knock you back. It moves you. It's not quite a knockback.
1: I was wondering whether this would negate um, the duration card that come up. Um, Just because obviously when it when it clamps down around it, it's supposed to knock everyone down. Whereas if you've got this, surely that would mean you're still standing.
2: Uh, yeah, you wouldn't get knocked down so you can move away before it slams down. Yes, correct.
1: Ultimately, not something you could easily farm or even want no. to farm.
2: And also, we, we've we kind of found once you get up to the level three Gorm, you kind of hunt it once, maybe twice, and then you're done with Gorms for good because there's not, there's not much benefit in hunting Gorms repeatedly in the late game. Um, you just
0: generally want to hunt them once or twice. So I'm looking at this artwork for this. I noticed it's a six party team, which is interesting, but if they're yeah. the level three Gorm, they're all like pretty much naked. One guy's yeah. got like a skull helm and the other guy's got, is that a screaming antelope helm on it? Th- that's about it.
2: They probably just decided, oh, let's, we,
0: we've beaten the level one, let's go for a level three. Yeah. Alright, so next card up we have his legendary intimidate action, which is ancient light. Turn to face the most survivors, then target all survivors in the monster's face. Intimidate all targets. Roll 1d10 for each target. On a result of 3+, plus, they suffer a random brain trauma and gain the absent seizure disorder. Uh, flow step, turn the gorm to face the op- opposite board edge.
2: Yeah, so as you can see, this is the strobe powering up even further. Uh, and um, basically, this one's just... Uh, this is a beating, this is. it's not much to say about it, really. It just sucks to get a random brain trauma and the absent seizures disorder, because that's probably two disorders.
0: Yeah, I... If you have Except Darkness, it's not horrible, the absent seizure though isn't great. Yeah.
1: Is there any way to mm. um, counter this or increase your chances of not suffering the damage? Or is um, it just literally once the card's there up, that's it? Is, uh
2: There are a couple of gear items that will let you ignore Intimidates. and the, Even the Gorm actually provides you one um, and when we talk about the Gorm gear we'll uh, discuss it
0: because it's part of the Gormant suit, which is very cool. Alright, and then his last legendary card is Ancient Indigestion. Um, It's a mood. Survivors who are damaged by Wretch gain one bleed token and lose one survival. If the Gorm is defeated with this card in play, the settlement gains plus two Gorm resources during the aftermath. So this is something nice to come out at the end.
2: Yep. Um, yeah, being damaged by Wretch for the extra beam token of survival, I don't think it's too bad because generally against the level three Gorm, you're trying to avoid being damaged by Wretch at all costs anyway because it's too dangerous. Um, so yeah, it's uh unless you're playing with Fetters as we talked about. Um, I, I do find it interesting that actually there are three legendaries for the Gorm, but only two get mixed in each time, which does mean there's a slight variation in what's in the deck for the level three Gorms which is different to a lot of the other monsters that have a, like a fixed number of legendaries that always go in for the L3s. Yeah.
1: And one final question about this one, in relation to bleeds, um, yeah. the higher you get, does that ever change on how many bleed tokens it takes to kill you? Or is five still the the death?
2: You the death can health? have the unconscious fighter fighting art, which means you don't die unless you get seven bleeding tokens. And there is another bleed one that if you hit lethal five then you get to roll a dice and you get knocked down instead and then you might bleed to death if you take a sixth, and so on so there are two fighting arts that will let you soak up more bleed than is normal um there's also a couple of gear items that help you manage bleed such as bandages and the blood skin
1: yeah so it's all about really sort of picking your Picking your moments with a level three Gorm to strike and then using the downtime to try and mitigate damage whilst you're healing up and going back in. Certainly. And you're
2: you're more right than you know when we get to talking about the um, two traits that the Ancient Gorm gets. So we'll do the adult Gorm first. This This is the level two Gorm. The first thing is the fight always takes place within a Gorm's den. Uh, The yawning more of the gorms den belches dizzying fumes. Survivors cannot surge unless you spend one additional survival. So basically hurts you surging. Um, One of the reasons surge is not quite so desirable fighting the adult gorms. Eh. But then there's, um, you know, it's it's just a nice thing to force you to play slightly differently. Um, It sucks if you have ghostly beauty in a gorm den because you have to spend four survival to surge, which is horrible. And then the other trait is Must, which, as I mentioned before, is something that elephants do when they're in heat. And uh, it's a trait, so there's no getting rid of this. Uh, same with the gormden. Den. All survivors with three or less Hunt XP gain minus two accuracy and plus two strength tokens. So if you are low on your Hunt XP, your character gets overwhelmed by the Must and um becomes wildly inaccurate but buoyed up with strength which is you know we're talking elephant testosterone here so fair enough it makes thematic sense but even worse than that at the end of each monster's turn the gorm will perform retch so this changes the fight compared to level one immensely because now you're dealing with a gorm that's constantly retching every single turn and so range weapons reach weapons and fighting in the kitty corners is incredibly important by well, the flanks, sorry, not the kitty corners. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things I liked when we went to fight the level two Gorm is when we saw this card, we went, ooh, this, this changes the fight a bit on top of the whole entry into the Gorm den itself. Um, which we'll go through those two in a moment. Um, then we have the, um, the legendary, sorry, the level three traits first one is the Gorm Yard, which takes the place where the fight takes place. The ground is littered with sharp bones, which survivors must carefully pick their way through. Survivors cannot dash unless they spend an additional survival. So the Gorm Yard actually cuts off dashing as opposed to surging. So you're, you're forced to be less mobile and you have to think carefully about what sections you're going to dash. So All these lovely flow steps we talked about, they become more awkward when you're facing the level three. And uh, finally we have what I think is the coolest part of the level 3 which is the ancient tusks. This card replaces the gorm's basic action with ancient tusks, which is at the start of each monster turn it performs a basic action with the ancient tusks. Um, so the gorm the level 3 gorm's going to act twice in its actions. Uh it will pick closest threat facing in range. Then closest threat in field of view. If there's no target, illuminate. This is speed three, accuracy two plus, damage four. So actually that's speed five, accuracy two plus, damage six. And after damage, it knocks you back ten, bashes you, and bleeds you. So against level three Gorm, bleeding can become a very serious major threat. And that's a lot of dice with a lot of damage tied to it. So, evasion is hugely key against the level 3 Gorm.
0: Yeah, the one thing I like between the level 2 and level 3 is that the traits actually switch up. Yep. Instead of just, oh, it gets a new trait, it actually changes. It um, is cool. It's very cool. I don't think any of the other monsters do that. Do, do any other ones do that? Um, some, well, the, the Dung
2: Beetle Knight does, Spidiculus does as well to a certain extent, um, and the Sunstalker does. The Sunstalker, kind of, no, the Sunstalker kind of builds on its previous actions rather than um, switching up. So, yeah, I think the Gorm's like the iconic creature for changing behavior, and that is one of the reasons I really love this expansion. All right. Do we want to go into the, uh, the new story events for the levels? Yeah, certainly. Um,
0: would you like to do the Fettig Grotto with the final march, Josh? And I'll do the other one. I'll do Fettig Grotto. So, okay. approaching the quarry, the survivors are overcome by a sickening Miaza. I said that wrong. Yeah. When the survivors arrive at the showdown, each survivor approaches the cave, and then during the aftermath, all victorious survivors make a blind exit. So, approach the cave. Each survivor rolls one d10. The gorm den can be tracked by smell from a great distance. Your eyes water and your stomach twist in knots as you approach. Roll one through three. The weak stomach prevails. You stop at the mouth of the gorms, then doubled over in pain. Roll a d10. On a one, you're hopeless sick. sick- sickened and crawl your way back to the settlement without arriving at the showdown yeah uh, horrible uh two through seven increasing coffin, suffer the clops long severe body injury um eight plus you have you heave until you reach nothing more than bile suffer one event damage to the body location that ignores armor not too bad but they're all pretty bad and what's clop's one off do you know off the top of your head fan uh, I don't know off the top of
2: my head, but if you give me a moment while you go through the next slot, I will pull up collapse Line. Alright,
0: so next up is a 4-7. The entrance to the Gorm's Den swims with putrid vapor. As the survivors consume uh, consult among themselves in hushed, rap- rasping tones, you decide to combat the Mia- miazo with a little ingenuity. putting Raspin. your waste armor on your head. Add your current waste armor points to your head armor points and reduce your waste armor points to zero gain, plus two insanity, and plus two survival. So we're putting our pants on our face, on our head. <laughs> Yeah. Um, collapsed lung is minus one movement token, gain a bleeding token. So not horrible, but. And yeah, it's better than the other results, but yeah. Uh, then 8 plus is tear streaming and lungs burning. You stumble into the den, roll 1d10. Uh, under your one the tears obscure your vision, gain minus one accuracy token. 2 through 7, you fall to your knees, sinking into the muck. When you regain your footing, you find yourself clutching a clean, bleached bone, gain one monster bone, basic resource. A plus the fumes burn your brain, suffer the frenzy brain trauma. So the two through seven good. Frenzy is not so great.
2: Mm, yeah, frenzy kind of sucks. Beginning a monster bone uh, before the fight starts is fantastic to take him out of the deck. The um, basic deck, yeah. All
0: right, and then the blind exit. Everyone rolls a d10. Sickened and exhausted, the survivors attempt to investigate the hazy gorm den. One through three, you stumble, losing gage, gadget, gagging, and gagging. Yeah, Lost yep. and Gaggin in the mix. It Mist. I can't speak cool to Uh The endeavoring effects of your surrounding take their toll, suffer minus one permanent strength. You emerge dragging one random basic resource in your spasmin fist. How do you feel about that, Fana? Um, I actually don't mind
2: it too much. You can't do the Fetty Grotto repeatedly and take stuff like this, but strength is not the most important stat, and quite often you have more strength than you need in a
0: character. It's not what I want from the result, but I can live with it. Alright, and at 4 through 6, you find the jiggling, delicate mass of a newborn gorm helplessly laying in the oozing nest of debris. Debris. If you have 3 plus courage, uh, you may slay the infant and gain one random gorm resource. If you do, the ghostly cry of the dying gorm shakes you to your core, gain the megalophobia disorder. If you do not slay the infant gorm, you stumble away from the nest, flailing wildly in the Blind and missed. Game plus one understanding and the honourable disorder. So, fan, do you kill the baby?
2: Um, well, if you've got three,
0: three plus courage, of course. You know, absolutely.
2: And then, then you've got an excuse for your survivor not having to come out and fight another gorm.
0: It, the picture of the baby gorm in the stomach is adorable.
2: It is. It is. Yeah. It's got tiny little pointed tusks, right, and no ears. It is. Yeah. Sure, I, I wouldn't mind it. We had that chance to get that baby gorm model, but it didn't happen. You know the Anna Poots with a baby Gorm. Yeah. Gorm would have been lovely. Maybe one day in the future.
0: Maybe one day Maybe. in the future. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, seven through eight. Uh, Crawl on your hands and knees to avoid the burning mist. Pools of acid burn your limbs. Gain the Acid Palms ability and suffer minus one permanent movement. If you have the legendary long secret fighting art, you spend extra time exploring and emerge with an Acid Gland Gorm resource. And for anyone that doesn't know, Acid Which Palm is 1d10 sh- strength on your wound attempts with Fist and Tooth.
2: Yeah, and the Acid Gland Gorm resources used to make the Acid Tooth daggers, which are very good. They're one of the few daggers I'm very fond of. It's a
0: good result, this one. Yeah, And then if you get a 10, grasping in the dense, thick mist, you struggle to breathe, you may spend 3 survival to gain the Legendary Lungs secret fighting art.
2: Yeah, it's alright. Legendary Lungs can be good, especially on Grand Weapon Survivors and stuff, so I think it's perfectly fine. I like how this changes up when you go in and leave, and it, it makes it a bit vent and experience the whole fight it's not just you know in and in and out it does make it feel a bit more like a, a an exploration of a cave
0: yeah it's got a lot of theme in this expansion
2: it is brutal though and it can mess up the survivors you're sending in there quite a bit <laughs> right so we will so this will be the last bit of this episode yeah the final march that's alright yeah sounds good Yep. So, uh, we have the final march, and then we will do the hit location deck next week and talk about resources and Gorm gear as well, and a few sort of expansion syner- synergies and stuff. Synergies. So, the final march, which happens when you hunt the level 3 Gorm, the survivors lay a trap to discover the elusive final resting place of the ancient Gorm. You nominate a survivor to become the ancient Gorm's bait and be removed from the hunt. During the hunt phase when the ancient Gorm's bait would be the hunt regina, they are digested instead. Move survivors along the hunt board as normal. At the start of the showdown, each non-bait survivor makes a timid entrance, and the ancient gorm's bait is placed knocked down adjacent to the monster. So digested. This is what you have to roll each time you would have had a hunt event. But it's kind of generally I think you have to roll three times on the chart when you are in this. Um Survivor runs wildly into the path of the lumbering ancient gorm, wriggling its body like an ecstatic worm. The sinewy arms of the gorm sagging more snatch them up. The rest of the survivors follow the bait's lantern light that shows through the ancient gorm's distended, papery gut. On a one, on your roll, swimming in the caustic soup of the gorm's gut, your armor levels at a random hit location are reduced to zero and you gain one bleeding token. Now that sounds kind of bad, but two to three is way worse. Bubbling acids of the Gorm's gut to destroy your gear. You have to choose one piece of gear in your gear grid and archive it. So don't go putting your um, survivor wearing, like, you know, full lantern armor inside the Gorm. That would be a little unwise. Four, five, or six. Heaving and choking on the sloshing fluids of the Gorm's stomach, you struggle to keep your head together. You lose two survival and gain a random disorder. Yeah, you know, could be worse. Seven, eight, nine. the slow shambling motion is sickening, the smell is gut-wrenching, and the moisture makes your skin burn. You lose one survival and suffer three brain event damage. Yeah. And 10, the wondrous biome of the gorms insides wondrously affects your body. You may remove a permanent injury of your choice, which is fantastic if you roll a 10. That's great. You know, Maybe we should come up with a way of helping in the sick and elderly and disabled by throwing them all inside gorms. Certainly that seems like the kingdom death way to do it. Then we got the timid entrance. So this is for all the rest who are not brave enough to ride inside a gorm. Um, they roll a d10. On a one, despite picking your way through mountains of sharp bones and bubbling acid pools, you trip, causing a noisy avalanche of debris. You suffer the broken leg severe injury, and gain the priority target token. On a two or three, the mournful howl of the approaching ancient gorm weakens your resolve. You have to set your insanity to zero and gain the megalophobia disorder, which means, and without bloodletting or something, this is the last time you're going to be fighting a gorm. On a four, five, or a six, shuffling past the debris-strewn mounds, shreds your leg armor. You suffer three event damage to the legs location, so no severe injuries, but that's going to shred most legs. You, ha- you hapless, your hapless struggle dislodges something useful. You gain a random basic resource. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, seven, eight, nine centuries worth of bleached bones stretch as far as the eye can see. Eerie shadows play over the Gorm Yard from the swaying light of the approaching monster's lure. You gain the lure epilepsy fighting arc, because obviously that's what the Gorm likes to do. This Gorm expansion really wants you to make good use of lure epilepsy, which we can't figure out. And on a 10, picking through the rubble, you spot a gleaming black mass in the tarry depths of a nearby pool. Carefully, you fish out the stone, which is stunningly heavy, and you gain one Gormite strange resource, which we will talk about next week. However, if you have no survival when you approach the pool, your exhaustion makes you stumble. As you emerge, the tar seems perfectly stuck to your body, gaining newfound stability. You gain the Gormite Strange Resource and the Immovable Object Secret Fighting Arts. So this is the only other way to get Immovable Object, which is very cool, but it's rare that you would get into a fight like that, um, without, um, yeah, without survival. If you've got no survival left at the start of the fight against level three Gorm, that's a bit of a rough situation. So, there we are, it's quite an event. Again, it's a different experience hunting the level 3 compared to the others.
0: Yeah, it's it's a a little much. Um, Especially if you have to sacrifice a survivor. Yeah. Chuck someone slightly injured in,
2: wearing slightly, with a few crappy items that they don't care too much about that can get digested.
0: But they still have to kind of help during the fight, like, because you don't really want to do the fight with three people.
2: No, obviously not, no. Luckily, the Gorm doesn't digest them completely. Yeah. So, does anyone have anything they'd like to sort of
0: further add? I think we did a pretty good job going over the first part of the monster. So next, next not next week, next session, we'll be going to do hit locations, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the gear and the synergies and everything like that, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Talk about, about, a bit about the grids, a bit about uh, expansion synergies, um, as the Gorm has quite a few, and we'll discuss the hit location deck and the resources.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Yes, indeed. All right. So uh, that's the end of our Great Game Hunters. Uh, join us back in two weeks for our next part of uh, talking about the Gorm. Um, otherwise, uh, make sure to get a chance to follow us, see our other streams. Uh, this is Twist Gaming. And then also check out Fen's streams. Uh, Fen, talk a little bit about what you have going on.
2: Um, I miniature paint somewhere between once or twice a week, usually around 7 p.m. GMT, and then most Fridays, um, as long as Ryan's available, we play People of the Sun um, on stream. And we're currently approaching Lantern Year Seven, and we're on a hot streak of nobody's dead yet, which is uh, always good news.
1: Quite the feat, considering I'm a complete rookie. But you certainly seabird.
2: have you, know, you have an aptitude for it. Yeah. Uh Otherwise, you can catch all my stuff on uh, Instagram when I paint it, which is Instagram Fensounig, Z-A-U-N-I-G, or Z, if you're American, Z-A-U-N-I-G. Uh, that's the same as my Twitch account, which has all of the links in it in the description below. Um, and I announce when I'm going to stream on Twitter forward slash fen underscore Soundig. Um, and there are some links popping up in chat for those of you who are watching live. And do feel free to come along and hang out. Um, I, uh, I, I'm perfectly happy to talk about kingdom death stuff when I'm painting and answer any questions or anything like that. I I do know a
0: little bit. Just, just a little bit. A, a smidge, a little bit too much for my own good. All right, Ryan, do you have anything you want to pimp out a little bit?
1: <laughs> uh, not really to be honest I'm uh, I'm someone that's normally in, in behind the scenes uh, bugging the hell out of Fenn and given half the chance I'll, I'll pretend that I'm completely nice and innocent um, otherwise it's just joining Fenn for uh, People of the Sun um, which is quite an opener considering I haven't even done the core one yet but it's all fun and games Otherwise just uh keep enjoying obviously twist gaming and fen sound extremes. Both are very enjoyable, both help kill time. And mm-hmm. uh you learn a fair bit too. No, thanks, obviously man. the more professional one is Josh, but um that's neither here nor there. If you want to know why I'm saying that, the current stream about fen's system is uh is a bit is a bit of the reason why.
0: Yeah. Alright, so thanks everyone for joining us and have a good night. All right.
2: Thank you, Raj. Bye.
0: Bye.